This is your host, Vernon Terrell, with Grace Ministries International. And it's time for Walking Free. And welcome back. This is Vernon Terrell, and I am joined by my awesome wife and colleague, Michelle. Hello, Michelle. Hello. And we both have been fighting a little something, a little illness, head cold. Uh, I longer than Michelle has. But uh, so if you hear a cough or a sniffle here or there, well, that's what's going on. How are you feeling? I'm I'm here. My eyelids are open. The coffee is is perking me up. We are engaged with caffeine. And we thought we would uh, continue. Well, I've been talking through 1 Corinthians, and I asked Michelle to join me as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're just going with it. We may finish the book. We may not. I hope we do. Uh, it's a fun, uh, long letter that uh, Paul wrote. But we start out in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, continuing this idea Paul talking to the folks at Corinth, and he is giving them uh, some words of uh, encouragement, but also some exhortation and also some uh, some thoughts around some areas of concern he had. And this continues that, uh, that idea where he says, does any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous? and not before the saints. So what is he talking about here? Is this lawsuits? Uh, I mean, look at this. He goes, you've got a case, a grievance against your neighbor, and you're going to the law before the unrighteous, the folks who are not saved. I've got a whole bunch of tough questions for you then. Oh, Lord, this is this is scary because, you know, you've been in this situation. I, I have in a way. Um, I have been involved in a lawsuit because of a, a vehicular accident I was in last year, and I've been using an attorney to help get justice. And uh, do you think it's sin to be engaged in a lawsuit? Wait, I thought I was asking you the tough questions. I wanted to ask it first because... I don't think it is. I don't think so. Now, this isn't part of uh, scripture. The the folks who have um, translated this uh, this version of the Bible, I have a, a heading yes. above this section. It says lawsuits among believers. Mm. So, was I supposed to go to the fellow that was in the accident with me and ask if he was a believer, and then take our take our case to a church and have some elders of the church determine what happens with our car accident. Uh, what's Paul getting uh, at here? Yeah, I don't think so. I think these are grievances and there was all kind of grievances uh, happening in the day. And we do have, uh, obviously our legal system has grown and evolved over the millennia uh, uh, since uh, uh, and the time since this was written. But I think this is more, again, notice this is you have a case against your neighbor. And uh, your neighbor, there's, there's, there's something happening. I don't know if you've lived uh, in a community and you've had something uh, that your neighbor has done that has bothered you. And, and it, it's 
such that it is really irritating and maybe it's unjust and you don't go to your neighbor to resolve it. You want to get, you want to take action against your neighbor. And I, I wonder if that's really where Paul is getting to. Well, let's skip down to, to verse four, um, because he has a, a solution. Paul's solution here says, therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church. Mm. So I think if it's, you know, our, our neighbors next to us, I, I don't think... Um, I'm not going to go to my church and ask. Right. But I do think, I, I think there's a an idea here. Mm-hmm. I think there's an idea that, you know, you don't need to go around uh, bringing lawsuits against your neighbor, against your, uh, against folks that are around uh, uh, in your circle of friends or circle of influences, you don't need to go around bringing lawsuits, number one. Uh, Number two, now there are times when, you know what, there is a just reason, Uh, there is a reason that we have a legal system, and that is for justice. Uh, And we don't always get it, doesn't mean we can't go seek it. But when it comes to this grievance, a case against our neighbor, Uh, And I think here it's our neighbor in the idea of our believer. We're not talking about our neighbor next door. Uh, If you do have a case against your neighbor, go talk to your neighbor. If you can't resolve it with your neighbor, then you may have to go through the legal system. But here, again, where I was going, is this your neighbor in your neighborhood? Is uh, uh, Is this the neighbor when Jesus said, who is your neighbor? Or is this a relationship that you have established in the belie- in uh, as a believer. Right. I think I, Paul makes it really clear to us if we jump down uh, next verse, verse 5. Um, now this one's going to knock your socks off a little bit. Um, Paul says, I say this to shame you. Mm-hmm. So let's circle back around to that in a moment because I, I think we need to go over the scripture that makes it clear. Then he says... Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? So he makes it clear, your neighbor that I'm talking about is believers. And he goes on to say, but instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. So he's being really clear. This is where we have folks that are in the same community, in the same uh, ecclesia, Mm. the same church, that are suing each other mm. in in public court and not settling a dispute amongst themselves. I do not know, I have to be honest here, I do not know of a single church who has um, followed through with verse four mm-hmm. and has appointed judges amongst the church. So do you think this is a cultural thing? Is this applicable to us? in uh, 2022 in our current church. Um, I feel like part of the difference there is there was probably the church in Corinth, Mm -hmm. one church, and where we live here, there is a church on every other corner. We're uh, we're in the Bible Belt, and so you may have a dispute with another believer and be attending two different churches, two different denominations. Absolutely. I think there is an... a level of application here, but I do agree this is culture. There's so much cultural 
um, underpinnings in these letters. And because, I mean, they were written in a culture, and Paul was addressing issues in the context of a culture. We have to read it that way. I do think there's things that uh, we can apply here that uh, when we do have disputes with one another as believers, is there not someone as a believer in the ecclesia, whether it's a physical church or among the body of believers that you can come to help mediate? Have you ever had a relationship issue or known a friends in a relationship issue that uh, it's getting pretty serious? And are there not believers who can step in to help facilitate and talk through the issues? Well, honestly, that's what we do a lot at Grace Ministries. We have especially disputes between spouses mm. and where they're you know, things are escalating. A lot of times um, they'll reach out for help and say, we are, we have conflict and we, we don't have conflict resolution. We're not able to resolve. And so they ask a, a believing counselor to step in, hear both sides and speak into both lives and, and move towards a, a resolution. And it really does take both parties being willing um, to lay something down and uh, I love that later on in, in chapter six, we're going to see Paul talks quite a bit about laying down rights and mm. all of uh, all of conflict resolution involves some aspect of laying down a right. So we want to, and we may go back and forth and play a little devil's advocate here, but could this be, you know, are we talking about setting up some type of theocracy and church um, legal system that we need to go to instead of the legal system? Uh, No. Uh, I think what we are saying is that there are times uh, in our current culture where it makes sense and it's the right thing where we go to law. But when we have disputes among each other, uh, why not first follow the example, I think, and the idea that Paul is laying out here is to either go to your church elders Uh, to the pastor of the church, uh, go to if it's a a relationship or an issue uh, that you can resolve with a Christian counselor, go and and seek that type of uh, resolution and that reconciliation through that third party first um, before going through the legal system uh, for that type of issue. There's a specific situation I want to touch on because as we're chatting about this, I can I can put myself in some other folks' shoes Mm. that are going to be feeling some mounting guilt right now. And that's where you have a husband and wife who the relationship ends in divorce. They're both believers and they, they battle it out in public court um, to get clarity on all of the details, the finances, Mm -hmm. the kids, all of that. Can you speak to that? Because I, I have a feeling uh, a, a bunch of our listeners are, feeling uh, hot under the collar right now and starting to sweat a little bit, you know, wondering, my goodness, I, I feel I already felt guilty um, that I've been in court with my ex. And now here's this Bible verse, this section that's saying, um, am I am I doing this all wrong? Am I dishonoring God by um, by going to court to get a settlement by a judge? That it first of all, no, you there is no, first of all, there is no condemnation in Christ. So don't feel condemned. Don't feel uh, this level of guilt uh, about that. Our, in our culture today, there are, there are times when there is no recourse and you're in the public court and you're getting 
you're going through settlement, going through um, who gets visitation rights, this messy stuff that it's just open, it's hurtful, it's sometimes embarrassing, uh, you feel that. Uh, don't feel embarrassed or feel that God is judging you or that you're in some deep sin with under the context, say, of this verse. You're not. You're not. You're following the protocol that's in our culture to get um, to settle this legally. Now, I think even in the midst of that, God may be speaking to your heart on things in that negotiation to give and to take, and you seek the Lord's wisdom in that. And I think that's a, a it's a, an opportunity where perhaps there is a wise believer in your mm. um, in your community that knows both of you that may be able to speak into some of the um, some of the nuances, some of the agreements that you're working towards. So um, I could see uh, a case for that being um, both and at the same time that Very the true. judge is going to determine, you know, by law, by the law of the land, how it's going to happen. But yet um, maybe there could, there could be some place again, you would need both parties willing to come and speak to um, someone who would be wise counsel. And I think that's what's so tough is when we look at that situation, um, most people are thinking, well, they're more your friend than my friend. They're going to side with you. They're not going to side with me. And we don't necessarily uh, trust ourselves over to someone. And and maybe that person is is not mm. partial. Maybe they do have a preference. Um Maybe they are partial. Sorry, um, said that backwards. So um, that takes a lot of prayer and peripheral consideration, and those are the sticky, uh, the sticky difficulties of moving through uh, this broken world uh, and broken relationships. And it is a broken world. And Paul does this. The intent of this particular chapter is not to lay out a new legal system. It's a very specific issue that Paul is addressing, and I think Paul is hitting on these, uh, and I'm inferring here, please disagree, but some of these are minor issues, some of these are relational issues, as I infer in here, uh, and Paul's saying, don't you have someone in the church that can help um, go through and talk through this? Some of these might be financial land issues, probably um, property issues, potentially, and saying, can't you work it out? Can't you work it out together? The, the intent here is that come together uh, relationally, come together uh, with other believers who can give wisdom, godly wisdom. Both parties should be seeking the Lord. Uh, that wasn't happening here, evidently. And I think that's the message. It's not to say that our legal system is bad and you can't go to the legal system, but it's, hey, can you come with a heart of humility and come move toward each other and not starting out against each other. The whole goal here is to come together and to have folks around you. Do you have people around you in community? Do you have a group or a church around you that when you're hurting that you can go to and be open and to come together and come to resolution? I think that's one of the points here. Absolutely. Let's read those verses that talk about laying down of the rights, because I think in our culture and in their culture back then, there everyone was being told, fight for your rights. You got to defend yourself. You've got to fight for yourself. If you don't stand mm. up for yourself, no one will. Can you can you read that passage? There? Yes. And before we do, let me mm -hmm. read this one verse that I love. 
Do you not know that we will judge angels? Verse three. I mean, we will. I don't think a lot of people know that. I I don't judging. We're gonna. We are in union with the Creator of the universe, and we are going to judge angels. What does he mean by that? Which angels are are receiving judgment? In fact, there's well, there's angels already under judgment, and. I'm sitting. I'm trying to wrap my head around that right now. We're gonna we're gonna literally judge angels at some point in time. Mm-hmm. I don't have a full clue of what that means. So that could be angels that were involved in the rebellion. Mm-hmm. That we know Satan led that rebellion, and a third of the angels followed in his coup. To try to take over heaven, they they lost that battle, um, but they have been having some level of authority um, on earth, having a, a presence and, we and have, an influence. We have authority over them right now, we but we will have judgment over them at this last day. That sounds like something final. It's where a final thing. They will no longer be able to run around or scoot around. I don't know how, how they get they around. Get around. How they get around. Um, but there will be a closure to what they've been able to do. I I don't know about this, but is there a judgment of angels for the good that they do? Mm. Um I I don't know. I don't know. This is this is just but the idea here that's a, this is so if we're going to do that and we've got Christ living in us, who is our strength and our wisdom. And we can ask for wisdom. He just gives us his wisdom and his grace. Can we not come together in that humility and help each other resolve issues? And in that context, as Michelle was saying, let's look at the next verse um, and these next verses in verse 7. He goes, actually then... Uh, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be, we're not going to like this, wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and you do this even to your brethren. This is sounding like he's dealing with something that's so core to the culture that these believers are being pulled out of. It sounds like it is absolutely normal to use deception, to wrong each other in the general culture. And then these folks are coming into the church and coming with that old mindset of just trying to get the most that you can get. And uh, anytime that that someone is wronged or, or cheated, um, they're jumping into a court case, but those are the same people who are turning around and cheating a different brother. So it sounds like this is part of the cultural um, situation going on in Corinth that Paul is saying, listen, you are no longer in the world. You guys are now pulled out of this worldly mindset for me, me, me. I'm just going to get you know, whatever I can get from you, even if I have to defraud you, uh, there's the sense of greed uh, of the flesh of just trying to take the most possible, get the most marbles. And that's because our mind and our focus is on the stuff. It's on the issue. It's on being right because I'm right. And Paul's saying your focus should shift on 
relationship, not on rightness. And it's a defeat when you're going so hard and fast after the issue. And you may be right. You may be so justified. But why not rather be wronged instead of righted? Why not rather be wronged? Or why not rather be defrauded for the sake of the relationship? Why not? And that word defrauded, this idea of, um, of being deprived of what is rightfully yours. I think there's two camps of people. There's a camp of people that are wired to sort of be the doormat in their mm. flesh and that they have no voice. They consistently are being defrauded and they don't speak up. Mm. Then you have another camp of people in their flesh um, that are always standing up for their rights. Um, they're the bean counters. They are keeping account of every little wrongdoing that happens. And I feel like this passage is addressing both to those who generally are not speaking up and having a voice. And then they're allowing um, a harmful person to just move on and, and harm the next person. They need to be going to the leadership saying, um, you know, this is what happened. Um, and to have a voice and speak into that. Mm. And yet those who are constantly barking for their, um, for their own rights to be heard, maybe they need to allow an offense and forgive an offense instead of constantly um, fighting for their rights. So I feel like Paul is always uh, challenging. We're in the flesh, we're going to be on one side or the other. And he's, he's not saying modify your flesh. This isn't flesh reformation. This is if the spirit of God is inside of you, listen to the spirit and the spirit will give you the the courage to speak up and say, Hey, this isn't right. The spirit will also give you the comfort to quiet down and say, I don't need to, I don't need to make a, a deal of that. I can forgive that and overlook that offense. And it really does take the Holy Spirit wisdom to know when are there offenses that that just can be overlooked and you move forward. And yet sometimes continually overlooking an offense just enables some some unhealthy behaviors to it's continue. It's not love. It's not loving to to not speak up. God says speak the truth in love. So this takes some maturity and that's what this whole book is about. The whole book of uh, Corinthians, uh, sometimes I've heard it, the book of corrections, corrections. <laughs> is about bringing uh, a spiritual maturity and, a, and even an emotional uh, maturity to the believer. That's why I love that. Do you not know that we will judge angel uh, the angels? Yes. And you've got you have Christ in you who is your wisdom and you can ask him for wisdom. And that's why I love this next uh, set of verses which is often I think preached incorrectly. It's often used as a battering ram and that's not at all the intent. Uh, he as Michelle was talking and saying uh, that there are two camps. We, we, we can walk after the flesh as a doormat, and we can walk after the flesh asserting our rights, and both need to come in humility and learn how to walk in faith, walk in faith to speak up when necessary to believers, to, 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 to uh, speak the truth in love, or to walk and take that step of faith to humble ourselves and to uh, not assert our rights 
and to be wronged and and perhaps even to experience um, that sense of being defrauded. Uh, Paul says this in verse 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It's like, what? Where are you going with this, Paul? Because do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And you're thinking, okay, that's pretty tough. I'm sunk. I mean, that, that's a pretty wide swath of people. But then he, he finishes the, the thought in verse 11, and he says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, made holy, set apart. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. That is powerful. He's saying, look, why are you going to the unbelievers? And in fact, here's what the unbelievers, here's, a, here's what the unbelievers are, can be, are characterized by. Not that they're not, you know, people who are good people but and versus bad. And remember, we've talked about that before on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's not about goodness or badness. But he says, don't be deceived. And talking about the unrighteous, which they're going in front of, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's who you were. You're not that anymore. I think he's talking about the root versus the fruit. He's saying if you have a root of unrighteousness, what naturally comes out of unrighteousness is unrighteous deeds. So if the if the spiritual state of someone is unrighteous, what naturally is going to flow out of that is all that icky looking stuff. Mm. And and he's saying, I, I love that he leaves the question hanging because we're supposed to answer the question. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? You know what that means? Who gets to inherit the kingdom of God? Mm-hmm. The righteous. He has made us righteous and he lays that case you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That's justification is that righteousness that our spirit has, we've been given a righteous spirit. And so when we have righteousness as our root, guess what the fruit's going to be? Righteousness. It's natural for, for that to come out. And it's really unnatural for us to continue on as if we were still unrighteous and for believers you see it all the time Mm. they are discontent when they're living unrighteously because it doesn't align with who they really are they have a spiritual conflict when spiritually you've been made righteous but you keep acting in that old way of unrighteousness it it doesn't sit well with us it kind of makes us uh sick in our soul when we, when we live disconnected from who we truly are. And the idea, again, going back to your idea of the spiritual root, uh, and what is the root? You're not a fornicator. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not a fornicator. You're not an idolater. You're not an adulterer. You're not effeminate homosexual or a thief or covetous. You are a righteous, holy saint. 
That doesn't mean you cannot do a behavior, one of these behaviors, but that's not who you are at the root. And that's the issue. Uh, and John talks about this in his gospel that you know, our natural, as a believer in Christ, we are naturally, um, supernaturally uh, righteous in our behavior. Everything we do has is, is been radically transformed, but we can be deceived and we can uh, slip into an old pattern. We can make bad decisions, but that isn't the, the defining um, idea of who we are. As a believer, you are set apart, sanctified, justified, forgiven, reconciled and redeemed that is at the core who you are and that's what he's saying you were this before you knew jesus that is exactly who you were you were in this and uh, you were defined in these various categories but that's not who you are now you're washed so why are you going to act like that why are you going to go and act like an unbeliever and act in this way that ain't you that's the point and so that root of, uh, of unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom. You will because you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you've received his forgiveness in life. And we're going to stop. We're going to continue this next week because he's going to say, and I hope next week we may, it may skip a week depending on we've got some more exciting guests coming on uh, to share their story. But when we do pick it up, he says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not, uh, but not all things are profitable. And he's going to talk through uh, another uh, angle of this same conversation in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. But Michelle, any final thoughts on uh, this in verse uh, 9 and 10? What comes to me is that um, an unrighteous person who, let's just take the first one on the list. The first one there is fornicating. I don't know. Does everybody know that word, fornicate? Fornicate, yeah. That that root, uh, that actual word is uh, porneo or pornos. Mm. So in in our culture, or a definition for fornication is what? Uh, for, well, I could tell you that de- the fornication is sexual immorality. Okay. Is it, because uh, the other one he has here is adultery. Yes. So adultery I get, because if you're married and you have uh, sexual relations with someone other than your spouse, that's adultery. But who's the other side if they're not married? Right. Yeah. So fornication is having sexual... In- inappropriate sex- sexual um, relationships. Uh, with two single people. With two single people. Okay. Okay. Just so that we're clear, I don't think everybody does know. And I think that folks, word. yeah, that, that's, I'm glad you said that. That, that word is an old word. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a general word, and it, it comes, we get our word, um, this pornography from. But this is taught, when you see that word in Scripture, fornication, that is a relational word. That is a sexual, that sexual um, activity, relationally, uh, that is outside of God's design. So an unrighteous person who fornicates is a fornicator. Yes. And that's what verse 9 is showing us. The unrighteous person who fornicates is a fornicator. What if the person is no longer unrighteous? What if they have uh, accepted Jesus as their Savior? They've been washed, sanctified, justified. They're now righteous, Mm -hmm. and they do an act of fornication. Does that now make them a fornicator? 
that makes them a righteous person who made a very stupid decision because it's not who they are. Okay. So when we're talking about this identity, the, the list says that all these people, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, this whole list isn't going to inherit the kingdom. Is it possible for someone to be righteous and a believer and yet still be doing some of those things and they not get sucked back into that as an identity? It is impossible for one who has been radically transformed by the grace of God, who has been sanctified, forgiven, and made brand new creation. Once they are made a brand new creation, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit, a seal that cannot be broken. That identity is forever. Now, can they make unwise decisions? Can they be deceived to think that they haven't changed, we see it all the time. Okay, so I I agree with you, but I just want to test that premise, and let's go the opposite way. Let's say someone is unrighteous, they're not a believer, um, and they are involved in a sexual relationship with a boyfriend, girlfriend, sleeping together, so fornicating, and then they hear this message, like fornicating is a a sin, God intended sex to be between husband and wife inside of marriage. And so let's say they go, ooh, we don't want to do that. Let's stop sleeping together. And so they do. They stop sleeping together. Are they still unrighteous if they simply stop sleeping together? If they simply stop sleeping together, that means they are, and they've not received Jesus Christ as their Savior, receiving his forgiveness in life, They have simply moved. They have simply stopped a behavior. They haven't changed the core essence of who they are because only Christ can do that. All right. So they are still unrighteous and they still need Jesus as their Savior. Absolutely. It wasn't just about cleaning up the behavior. It's not a behavior modification system. Okay. So cleaning up their bad behavior didn't make them righteous. Just like the person who's righteous when they mess up it doesn't make them unrighteous. So it's not behavior driven. Behavior no. isn't going to change this core sense of uh, the core truth of whether we're righteous or unrighteous. That's really a key thing that's hard for us sometimes to wrap our head around is that our behavior does not determine our righteousness or our unrighteousness. And and it's we see that. We see the behavior coming out and we think there has to be a direct correlation if I do this bad thing, therefore I'm unrighteous. And if, if I do good things, I must be righteous. And that's why uh, it's really, uh, pastors should not camp on this and talk about, hey, if you're, if you're a fornicator and you're an idolater and you're an adulterer and you're a homosexual or you're a thief or you're covetous, you're going to hell and you need to change your behavior. That's not the point of this message the, or, or this, this letter that Paul is writing. That is not the gospel. Changing your behavior is not the gospel. Believing and receiving the forgiveness and life in Jesus Christ is the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the good news. The minute we start focusing on telling somebody to change their behavior, we've gone away from the gospel. And I think Paul is saying when you are connected to your true identity, you are righteous now that you have accepted Jesus. You do inherit the kingdom of God. And so he calls them to 
live this life out on earth from that identity, your behavior will change. He's not saying go do whatever you want to do sexually or, you know, just go have a wild and crazy time Mm -hmm. because now you're righteous. He's actually saying if you get this, if you understand that you are inheriting, you get the kingdom of God, live out of who you truly are and let those true desires of your heart uh, be be lived out in your life and you're going to see you don't want fornication there's something that you want more than just that momentary sexual pleasure there is a a, a deeper thing that will drive you same same with all of these here so i think paul does care about behavior because honestly god hates the things that are harmful to us right these things this whole list of things is not good for us and so he hates the things that hurt us. And so he doesn't want his kids living in those things um, that are not good for us out of love for his kids. And also what we'll see on the next time, that's just out of the design. It's just not his design. And your body actually uh, reacts to the foreign, these foreign things that are against your brand new nature and the design that God has made in this body. So we're going to look at some of that uh, on the next time. So if God's stirring up, uh, stirring up something uh, in your heart, in your mind, about what we've talked about on this podcast, uh, as we often say, uh, pray about it, seek his wisdom, uh, and you may need to talk it out, but there's going to be a point where God says, you know, I think you got it. It's time to stop talking and start walking. You've been listening to Walking Free, a production of Grace Ministries International in Marietta, Georgia. For more information, go to our website at gment.org. That's G-M-I-N-T dot O-R-G.